Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. And I'm Lauren Good, senior tech editor at The Verge. And you're listening to Too Embarrassed to Ask, where we answer all of your embarrassing questions about tech. Because really, there are no embarrassing questions. It could be about phones or laptops, wireless plans, or what the hell is going on with Uber, Kara? That's my question for you this week. What is going on with Uber? <laughs> a lot of things. We're doing a lot of stories on it on Recode, and so are you on The Verge. But it's pretty much a mess. It's a huge... HR nightmare after a woman who engineer who worked there wrote a really devastating essay about her experience there, which includes sexual harassment and pretty much rampant sexism across the company. And you actually had the uh, memo that mm-hmm. Travis Kalanick sent out yesterday to yep. his staffers explaining what they're planning to do to address this. But in fact, by the time this podcast publishes this week, there'll probably be three more updates in this story at least. Absolutely. I mean, it's a fast moving story and it's also one that's been long simmering. So it's going to be kind of interesting as people come out of the woodwork to talk about their experiences of working at that company. And by the way, all Silicon Valley companies, because this is not limited to Uber. This is a problem I know you and I hear about all the time from women who work in tech. Yeah, not just tech, too. Uh, We certainly do hear this a lot. And so it's something we're going to be following closely. But that was my question for you this week. That's our podcast over. All right. Well, readers can send us questions about that if they want. And we do really do read them all. Find us on Twitter and tweet them to us at, at Recode or to myself or to Lauren with the hashtag Too Embarrassed. We also have an email address. It's too embarrassed at Recode.net. And friendly reminder that embarrassed has two R's and two S's. And while you're at it, have a listen to our previous episodes, too, which you can find on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. So this week's episode is partly inspired by my sister-in-law, and I hope she doesn't mind that I'm calling her out a little bit on this show, because a couple months ago, I was home for the holidays, and she said to me, she's, and by the way, she's a very smart woman, uh, she has multiple degrees, and, and she said to me, you know, I am paying for, I think, eight different cloud services right now. I have no idea why I'm paying for them, exactly what they do or how they're different. And I'm, you know, she was genuinely confused by what the cloud is. And so I thought this is a good question. At some point, we should really tackle this and try to answer people's questions about cloud services. Yeah, I'm the same way. I have so many cloud services, I don't understand one of them, actually. And I don't, I'm pretty smart about this stuff, too. And when we told our readers and listeners that this was the topic this week, we got a whole bunch of questions about this, so many that we can't even answer them all in one show, because the cloud is so important to people, and yet they really are confused by it. But this is an important area of consumer tech. Really, everything is in a cloud service now, from photo storage and backups to streaming media service, anything connected to the internet. So we're very excited to welcome Chris Borden to the show to answer your questions this week. Chris is the CEO of Cloud Service Up There, which offers, among other things, a service called Up Home, which is supposed to be one single online storage space for all of your videos, photos, music, and documents. But he's here to talk not just about his service, because he's not here to promote up there, but also all the others and how you can figure yourself out through it. That's right, because Chris also worked at Apple for 15 years prior to up there, where he led product marketing for OS X, which is Apple's uh, desktop software and Mac software. So Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So um, talk a little bit about quickly your path from Apple to up there. How did you get involved in Sure. The world of cloud storage. Um, so I had worked at Apple for about 15 years, and I was the product marketing manager for Mac OS X. And I worked on Mac OS X since the early, very early days of OS X, before it was uh, even a consumer operating system. It was actually a, a server operating system at the beginning. Uh, and I was there through all the cat releases. And during that time, I worked with a man named Bertrand Serlet, who at the time was the senior vice president of software engineering at Apple. 
he ran the OS 10 engineering project and he eventually was the guy who incubated the iOS project at Apple. And he's a very science, computer scientifically minded person. He left maybe six or seven years ago of the company to go off and think about bigger problems, non-product problems. And the thing that he recognized and that I also recognized when we were there was the world was moving from something where we used one computer all the time to one where we had lots of computers, right? We had our laptops and our desktops, but now we added mobile phones and tablets and watches and all these other things. And it became pretty apparent that the technology that all that was founded on, which was the same technology that was inside all the PCs, wasn't really going to scale when we had all these different devices. And so the company had set out to solve this problem with a new core technology that didn't rely on the technologies that were kind of embedded in computers at the time, these um, older kind of Unix-style POSIX file system type technologies, and uh, used a, a modern technology that was built specifically for mobile computing, where you had lots of devices, but you want to have all the same data available to you on all of them. And so that's kind of how, you know, I saw that this problem was emerging. I saw that, quite frankly, Apple was struggling with the cloud to do good stuff there. Um, and I thought it was a great opportunity to go and try to really solve the problem at the core of the problem, so, so, not try to kind of wallpaper over it, which is yeah, what Sync does. So Chris, does. what is the problem you're trying to mm -hmm. solve? What would you say if you make make it easy for people? What would be the problem? Is that there's everything is everywhere, right? Yeah. So that, I think that was kind of the problem is in order to get, your stuff on all your devices, you had to sync it all around, which was very kind of complicated for it people. Is. It filled up your phone or it filled up your computer. People were having less and less storage space on their devices. Kind of everyone has this problem. We're running out of space because we have too many photos. We have too many applications on our phones. And that's just because there's this limitation to the size of these devices and a limitation to the software that runs on these things. And so our goal was to build a new technology that would eradicate that problem where we didn't have to worry about how much space we had on our phones that we could have you know, very, very small amounts of storage on our phone, but yet have access to terabytes and terabytes of things. Um, and that was the foundational notion of, of why we wanted to build this. So how do you compete with giants like Apple and Google yeah. and Microsoft, people like Dropbox as, as a cloud storage startup? Well, that's a very good question. Um, it's obviously very hard to do to compete with them. Um, you know, they ha uh, first of all, our goal is to make the world's best personal storage experience. Um, we want this to be the best experience that anybody has available to them. So we want to be as fast as possible. We want to take up no local storage. We want to have the best user interface and the best user experience. So that's job one for us is build the best product and the best experience for people. Um, we provide one place for everything. When it comes to performance, we are faster than iCloud by about 2x. We've done the measurements on that. So goal one is make the best product possible. We certainly recognize that there's a, a difficulty competing with companies that have kind of embedded the cloud, so to speak, into their devices. And so for us, it's going to be about, we're working on some new stuff. You know, I don't want to talk too much about it now, but but uh, that we think will... It's okay. It's just us here. Yeah, I know. You can just, just tell us all about it. Uh, <laughs> we're working on some new stuff that I think will show that we're going to aim at a particular kind of user who has a real need that's not being served by these folks yet. The, the hobbyist photographer, the videographer, if you, have, if you have a digital SLR or you have an action cam or you have a drone, these are very hard storage problems for people, very hard data access problems for people that these other services are not handling adequately right now. So we've got something really interesting that we're working on um, that perhaps you'll invite us back at some point and we'll show you um, that we're really excited about that uh, we think is very differentiated from what's happening in the market today. So it sounds like you're going to be focusing more on a pro level or hobbyist uh, kind it's, of Yeah, it's more, it's more hobbyist, travelographer, mm -hmm. those kinds of folks. There's a lot of these cameras in the world that don't have the convenience that your mobile phone has when it comes to photos. And they need to have that convenience. 
And that's what we're working on solving. Right uh, now. All right. All right. You two geeks, stop. Stop, you two geeks, for just a second. It's really <laughs> exactly. normal people, though, that have a problem. You know what I mean? Most of us don't have fly drones around all the time or other things like that. So could you just get into the idea of what the biggest problem of cloud storage services right now are for the normals who, who just have photos, maybe some music, maybe some entertainment, videos of their family gatherings? And so I think that's usually the use cases of most people. Yeah. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of choices, right? I think, you you know, Lauren mentioned this at the beginning. Um, you've got Dropbox and you've got Box and you've got Google and Microsoft and iCloud. And um, I think for consumers, um, Dropbox has really moved into a more of an enterprise approach. Um, they're focusing a lot on the business. So I think that they've kind of left consumers behind. Uh, I don't see a lot of uh, stuff happening from Dropbox for consumers. Box has been in the business case for a long time. I think that Google Photos is a really great service. Um, if you're looking for a place to keep your photos, other than, of course, up there is a great one. But I think Google Photos does a really great job. Uh, you know, you can get it on iOS. You can get it on Android. In fact, they build it into Android, and it's, it's free. If you buy the Pixel phone, you get it for free. I think they do a really wonderful job. Uh, they've got great search. They've got facial recognition and object recognition in there. Um, they've got a lot of users. So I think there's a lot of really happy people. So I think the problem is like each of these services kind of focuses on a very particular thing, and they try to do that one thing really well. And so inevitably, if you want to get the best experience, you're going to be using multiple clouds. Google does a great job with photos. If you have an iPhone and you want to make sure that your phone is backed up and you can restore it if you lose your phone or you get a new phone, then iCloud is the, is the, is the only solution that you can, that you can get. Um, and so for, you know, there's a free five, five gigabyte service there. You can pay a couple dollars to get 50 gigabytes or a couple hundred gigabytes. And you're going you're gonna to have the safety and security of having your phone backed up. Um, and I think everybody wants that. Uh, so if you lose your phone or you get a new phone, that's really easy. Um, so I think Google Photos is great for photos. And I think Apple's iCloud is great for iPhone backup. Yeah, so essentially like streaming services, you're going to have to have all of them. Just if you want Roku, if you want this, if you want that, you just you have to have several different ones. That's, that's, to me, that seems to be an enormous problem for people. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's likely to be true. I think there's a, a the differentiation. I mean, the streaming services are trying to differentiate on content that they have on offer that you can't get at other services. So you end up with a Roku and you end up with an Amazon Fire Stick because you want Amazon TV and you end up with Apple stuff because you want their new TV show. In the case of, of kind of cloud services for your, for your things, um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's, you know, they're not particularly integrated. Uh, for photos, you're going to use one thing. For documents, you're going to use something else. That's just how these services are, I think, uh, evolving and, uh, and becoming good at each of those things. Mm-hmm. So it seems like if you had to put this into different categories of users, you would say, okay, there are people who just want general backup. They're not thinking about it. They're not doing anything manually. They just know their stuff on maybe on their phone is being backed up somewhere. Mm-hmm. Then you have the photo hounds who say, okay, where can I not only store, but actually manage my photos? Mm-hmm. You've got people who need backups to documents, and they might be using something like Google Drive or Microsoft OneDrive. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the people that Carol won't let us talk about, <laughs> the hobbyists and the nerds and oh, the geeks. Right. And by the way, I would put myself a little bit in that category because at one about point them. I was a video producer and I did and I did a lot of manual sort of control over what was being backed. I, I never have liked the idea of just thinking all the junk on my phone and on my desktop is just being uploaded somewhere. I, I would actually prefer to sort of manually manage it and mm. put it into folders. But, but that's like a whole other topic. Um, okay, so um, how secure are most of these services? Because that's another thing that people ask us a lot. They say, okay, I'm starting to back everything up into the cloud. And we've seen cases of celebrities having their Mm -hmm. cloud accounts hacked and photos being exposed. I mean, how secure? I think think the security of most of these services is quite excellent. The problem 
that you see, with, particularly with the celebrity hacking of iCloud, was not so much that the, the service was insecure in and of itself. It was that, that people are largely insecure with their information. Uh, it's fairly common for people to get fished or kind of hacked for their information. I think that's what happened in the iCloud incident. People sent emails to celebrities or were able to find out personal information about them. That let the fisher change the celebrity's password so that they could get into their account. That's the weakest link right now in, in all security is the user password. Um, some services have a second authentication that's possible. So you not only have to have a password, but you have to have a code. That code can be delivered to your phone, either through SMS or through an application like Google Authenticator. Does Upstair have that? We do, actually. Mm -hmm. We were, I think, one of the first services ever to launch on day one with two-factor authentication. This gives you an extra level of protection. And I recommend anybody who cares about security of their stuff, which should be everybody, should have a second-factor authentication enabled on their, for, for the service that they're using. The services themselves have proven to be um, pretty secure. You don't hear very often about hacks of Google's service or of Dropbox's service um, because it's hard. It's hard for even the best hackers to find ways into those services. They're very well protected in lots of ways, both physically and through, through the software infrastructure. It's much easier to try to get people's password information, much easier to try to take personal identifiable information of somebody and try to try to hack their password. So that's where people have focused. And it's an area that I think still deserves a lot of development. It's a big hassle to manage your passwords today. I use a, an app called 1Password to so manage my passwords. Mm -hmm. And I have, you know, 100 different entries in there, all with different passwords, because that's the right thing to do. You want to have a different password for every service. You can't remember 100 passwords. So it's very clunky and cumbersome. It would be wonderful to see the industry move forward and figuring out how to provide better authentication mechanism. But that, 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 I think, is the biggest security problem that we have today. Kara, are you ever worried about your cloud services being hacked? Constantly. Constantly. That's why I have everything, all the authentication I have, I, I put in there. But I mean, I think it's one of these things is if you're, you're trusting everything not to like some, well, then at the same time, you have maybe you have a backup that's just sitting in your house that could be still on, but it's a whole lot harder than it is with these things. So I'm constantly changing passwords and doing stuff like that. But I think, you know, it's a matter of time for most people are going to get into trouble on some account in this area. It's like email and everything else. All right. So in a minute, we're going to answer some questions from our readers and listeners about cloud services. But first, we're going to take a quick break as Lauren reads a word from our sponsor. And I have to say, ka-ching. I know, Karen, you're not here this week again. Where yeah. are you? You're in D.C. What yeah. are you doing down there? I'm there. I'm, You know, Donald's out of town and Melania invited me over for a ladies' night. So I'm very excited about that. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're good. We're what are you guys going to talk about? <laughs> You know, cloud services probably a little bit and, you know, some other <laughs> issues. <laughs> well, maybe no. you can uh, tell her to get her husband off of that insecure Android phone while you're at it. Yeah, I don't um, know. We're going to take it and like Among other things, that's kind of low priority yeah. right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I miss I miss seeing you in person and hearing the ka-ching and seeing you do your money dance Go person, ahead. But, um, I want to hear this ad now, please. So okay. We can get to the questions from our All right. Readers. Today's show Listeners. is brought to you by HostGator. If you're ready to take your website to the next level, whether you are a first-time blogger or an experienced web pro, like the kind of people that would probably use backup services for drones and raw photos, and okay, Kara's going to kill me. <laughs> HostGator has all the tools you need to create a great-looking website and even an online store. And if you ever need a boost in hosting power, HostGator offers cloud, VPS, and dedicated server hosting that can easily handle maximum visitor traffic. See what HostGator can do for your website. Right now, Recode listeners, that's you guys, will get 60% off. So if you go to HostGator.com slash Recode, that's HostGator.com slash Recode, you can claim your prize of 60% off. 
Well, Lauren, that was a big ka-ching as far as I was concerned. Okay, if you're listening to the show, you know how it works. Every week we take tech questions from our readers and listeners, and we try to answer everything we can. This week we're answering your questions on a whole bunch of different cloud storage and streaming media services. Lauren, why don't you take the first question, and I'll go from there. Sure thing. The first question is from Christopher Mims, who's at the Wall Street Journal. By the way, we got at least two questions this week from other journalists, which is the funniest thing because I'm like, guys... Let me Google that for you. Uh, <laughs> but Chris Mims from the Journal wants to know, uh, for a consumer, is one any better than the other, or are they all more or less commodities at this point? Okay, so I'm going to go through the pricing of these really quickly, and I won't get too detailed because there's a lot here. But basically, they're all pretty similar at this point from a consumer perspective. They do vary by region, so the prices might be different depending on where you are geographically. But a lot of them will start you with you know a certain amount of storage free and then they get you to start paying so google drive does 15 gigabytes free to start dropbox basic is two gigabytes free to start apple icloud five gigabytes uh, microsoft OneDrive five gigabytes so right off the bat we can see that google drive is the best deal after that you start to pay you know 199 a month 299 a month for things like 50 gigabytes of storage, 100 gigabytes of storage. And then if you're really storing a lot of stuff, you can get up into terabytes. You can pay for uh, one terabyte of storage on Google Drive for $10 a month. You can go up to 10 terabytes with that. Um, You know, Microsoft OneDrive goes up to uh, one terabyte for $70 a year. So basically, you're just going to have to look at the tiers of pricing and figure out what works best for you. The one thing I will point out is that people look at Apple iCloud and Apple iCloud Drive and they get confused. And they say, what is the difference between these two? iCloud is really that thing that you're going to want to, this is based on my experience, they're going to want to use, as Chris mentioned earlier, to just basically back up your phone, right? That's going to back up your phone. It's going to back up your Mac. If you wanted to get into more file management or document management, that's when you start using iCloud Drive. But iCloud Drive is sort of looped into the pricing when you start paying for iCloud along with Apple Photos and and a bunch of other stuff like that. Maybe that's one of the more confusing things for people because almost every other service just kind of has this singular name. Um, Chris, is there anything you would add to that? The services have become fairly commoditized when it comes to different pricing structures. I think it's it's because people just see gigabytes of storage um, and not an experience behind it. Um, for, For iCloud, I think you're right that you've got one there's one thing called iCloud, but there's all these different services that uh, are go to fill up that iCloud storage. Same is true with Google. Um, mm-hmm. you, you Google Photos, you've got Google Mail, you've got Google Drive. Those all contribute to the same quota of content that you use, um, but it's one quota of content. Yeah, that's a great point. People probably don't think that much about Google Mail taking up their storage space. Right. But um, And in terms of up there, you know, you have a service, you have up there, but you have a service called up their home. Mm-hmm. How many different, I guess, services or tiers do you guys offer? Um, so we, we give you three months for free, basically, use whatever you want. And then we simply price it at $1.99 for every 100 gigabytes you use. So it's a pay-as-you-go. We don't. We wanted to make sure you weren't overpaying for your gigabytes. M- most people have less than 100 gigabytes of stuff, um, and if you are using, you know, Dropbox at ten dollars a month, you're paying kind of a lot of money for those 100 gigabytes. Mm-hmm. We wanted to be a little bit priced a little bit more in line with how people use their stuff. So it's, it's two dollars for every 100 gigabytes. Very simple. I feel like I just keep paying for more and more of these services. Yeah. Same problem that my sister-in-law has. I have them all. Like one day you wake up and you look at your credit card statement and you say, "Wow, I'm." 
I'm really paying for a lot a lot of this stuff. I have every one of these. I have Google Drive, I have Dropbox, I have iCloud Drive, and I have Microsoft Drive One. I, it's amazing. I, mean, I just have them all for different things. Um, and I, I think about consolidating yeah. them a lot. And I have also Google Photos, which is another one. Um, and I have I did have Flickr many years ago, but uh, who knows what's going on there. Um, oh, Flickr. Yeah. So next question is from Flickr. Chris Davies, who's also a journalist. Also, which is the easiest to – I think that is that, Chris Davies. Also, which is the easiest to set up it remotely is. if, say, you're getting less tech-savvy friends up and running? Chris, which which one is the easiest besides yours? You cannot say your own. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> to say your mine and uh, yeah, of course up there and but uh, gosh, the easiest. I mean, if you're an Apple user, um, setting it up remotely for another person is going to be very hard. You really need to set it up when you set up your device yeah. or you mm-hmm. set up you know, when you get a new computer. So you really need to do that. I think Google's probably more abstracted away from the device. I think they're all hard to set up remotely because uh, inevitably you need to be in control of the email address that's behind it. So right. um, if you have control of the email address, then it's easy to set up because you get a verification in email and you need to be able to answer that. I would say, you know, of those two, Google, I don't have a lot of experience with Microsoft. I think that if you're uh, using Office, you basically are being kind of forced into the into the OneDrive cloud through Office now. Mm-hmm. Office that's 365. Their, yeah, Office 365 mm-hmm. is kind of the way to get onto Microsoft's cloud. Uh, so I know re- remotely, you really need to have access to either uh, the email address or sometimes a, a phone number in order to finish the setup. Uh, so I think uh, verif- remote is tough, but probably Google's the easiest one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. At one point, I tried to set my dad up with Dropbox after a vacation when there was lots of photo sharing happening, and it was, I think it was futile. <laughs> uh, okay, next question is from Jeremy Fake. He's at jfake on Twitter. I want to have my photos, including raw, in the cloud, but want facial recognition. What's the best? Okay, so for non-photographers, raw photos basically means the original photos in the largest file format with all of the detail that your camera could possibly capture for that photo. In a lot of cases, photos end up being compressed, which means they are no longer raw. But this particular person says, I want to have the giant original photos stored in cloud service, but also facial recognition, uh, which is something that Google does now, Apple does now. Uh, What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, that's a tough one. Um, If you have JPEGs, obviously, for the users that are cars friends, the uh, you know your phone and, and the JPEGs that are taken on your phone are all easily facially recognized by by all the services now. Um, raw files, I'm not sure on. I know that Apple platform recognizes the raw file and can and can display some of them. I'll assume that that because they have facial recognition on the device that they can apply that to the raw files. Usually, what happens from a technical perspective is that the device or the cloud will convert it into a JPEG, convert the raw into a JPEG, and then do the do the actual facial recognition. Um, I don't know what Google does, honestly, on that. Uh, we we support raw files. Um, we don't have the facial recognition part, but we have full raw file support. So I'm not sure if anybody gives you those two combinations of things with a, with a pure cloud service. Mm-hmm. That's a good, really good question. We're going to have to look into that further. Yeah. Exactly. Next, serious question. I want to use iCloud Photo Library, but I don't want to, all my previous photos to be uploaded possible. And then Lauren says, you mean the ones that exist on your iPhone now? You don't want those backed up, only new photos going forward. And Don Juan said, bingo, exactly that. Or maybe I bought a new iPhone and I want all those new ones to come ones up in iCloud going forward, a very sexy conversation. What do you think, Chris? <laughs> uh, wow. 
Uh, <laughs> I know. Hot. Blown away. Hot. Yeah. To I mean, certainly the default setting for all these services is, is, hey, just give me all my stuff. What you want to do is find a service that lets you selectively upload things um, so that uh, in addition to the option of enabling an upload of your entire photo gallery, that there's also an alternative option, which is to selectively upload what you want. Up there, of course, provides that. I think a lot of the services probably do. Uh, I don't know of anybody who says, as of this date forward, I want to upload them and not the old ones. Um, I would think that the way you'd have to do it, if I were to guess, would be just really kind of riffing right now. You take your existing iPhone and you would plug it in and you would dump all of your photos mm-hmm. to a local hard drive, right? Yeah. And then you'd wipe that then phone, your phone. And then when you got a new iPhone, you would not restore it from an iCloud backup. Oh my you God. You would just start <laughs> so. it as a new phone. And in that, and at that point, set up I, your iCloud backup. Good, but I think if you set up iCloud at that point for photos, it's going to bring all the old. It will. Photos, it will. I've had that, that happen. In the cloud to your new phone. It just does what yeah. it wants. Really, this it is does. a very. It, it does. It just starts sucking. Yeah, I don't know what in. kind of photos Don Juan has. In the past. <laughs> Those might be more interesting than this conversation about. All right. This next it. question, Lauren, ask this because this is a problem I have had all the time. Okay. This is from Jamie Rolando, who wants to know: Is it easy to get your photos out of iCloud? To transfer them to another service, based no, on what I have read, no, no, it's Thank hard you. to do this in batches. That you no. need to, you can do it individually, but it's hard to just export them all. Yes, it's horrible. Is, what do you say, Chris? No, I think actually this is shouldn't be too hard. No, um, it you, is. Uh, Why you, isn't it? Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. Well, here's how I think about it. So you've got all your photos in iCloud. Uh, if you install Google Photos app. Um, and you say upload all of my photos, it's going to go and it's going to grab all the photos from I, that are on your phone, but essentially are also in iCloud. And it'll upload them to Google Photos. In the case, we, we do exactly the same thing. Uh, where you can just tap a button and it will take all of your photos out of your iOS gallery and it will upload them to up there. I assume other folks do that. Now, the problem is you can't kind of get away from the iCloud gallery part of things. Exactly. Because that's essentially where all the photos go on iOS. And so you can move them you can move your photos to another service, but you can't erratic. You can't kind of get yourself out of the iCloud service part. You cannot. Um, I, Apple really does not want you to do yeah, that. Yeah, that's the issue. I wanted so, to no, eradicate them. If you take them. a photo, you're gonna. I would send Apple email at uh, developer at apple.com and ask them to allow third parties to just be the gallery for the phone, uh, and that would be that would be one way to do it. Well, but right now you have to store all the photos taken on the on the iPhone to the iPhone's gallery, and then you can move them into other services. You can erase them. I've talked to Apple about this because it makes me mad that I can't just get rid of photos yeah. if I want. I don't want them on the iCloud service, for example, and I should have the right to take them off, right? So that's the idea. And I think what I what I have done is they yeah. said you have to like delete them in batches, and I have you know thirty thousand photos. It takes like it would I have to like yeah. set aside a lovely afternoon to do it, and it's really mind-numbing to do it and so the only way to do it is to get rid of them all at once in a large in large in batches of a thousand or something like that and then future photos always get uploaded there anyway so you have to remember to get rid of those you have like zero choice for it not to be your photo service which is irritating yeah i think you should check out one setting that exists i believe in google photos that allows you to delete the photos in the gallery it's a it's not an on by default setting um, if you go into the settings on Google Photos, there should be something that says delete the photos from the gallery after I've uploaded them to Google Photos. So it sounds like to answer Jamie's question, it should be relatively easy to get your photos from iCloud to another service. Yeah. But it sounds like it's more challenging just to delete them entirely. That's where 
That's where do. you're going to be spending some time going through and doing some manual deletion, which is annoying. Uh, our next question is from Joey Poor or Pori uh, on Twitter. Why hasn't Apple made a family-compatible iCloud storage plan? Wish I could pay $10 a month for one terabyte for everyone. That's a good question. You know, good Apple's question. not the greatest at multiple accounts or users on, let's say, one device, mm. right? I mean, I think they do that in the education market, but for example, it's not like you can just log your child in or out of your iPad. Mm. And then you know log yourself back in and that sort of thing. And so it, it's not surprising to me that they're not sort of doing iCloud storage that way anyway. But then again, there are probably challenges around it. Like, what if your child or your partner's photos just suddenly got interspersed with your own? And then how would you? <laughs> well, that would be that would be not fun. I think they have some family stuff. So when you buy music, so they have a family music plan through iTunes or Music or whatever it's called now. I think it's fifteen dollars a month for the music plan, and then everybody in the mm-hmm. family can listen to music from the same account. Uh, they have the ability for families to share, I think, in the app store as well. I know that I get messages from my son all the time asking for, to approve a particular application. Um, but I don't know if they have the ability to share. sounds like they don't have the ability yet to share kind of gigabytes of storage as, in a family plan. That would be that would be a really great thing for them to provide. It would. There shouldn't be any problem with user accounts. I mean, it's, that part's not hard. They should be able to do that. Then another question about Apple uh, from Gilbert Jeremio. He's at the real GRJ on Twitter. What's the best solution for an Apple household to back up photos? Probably iCloud. Unless you think at some point you're not going to be an Apple device user and you just want your photos in a place like Google Photos. Yeah, if you're if you're committed to Apple, then you know, there's nothing that's going to be easier. Uh, they they have access to the devices that other developers don't have. I don't think that necessarily makes it, it makes it easier. Um, I think you know Google Photos again is a great example of something that probably does a better job of holding your photos than Apple does. Dropbox has kind of gotten out of the photo game for the most part, so I don't think that's a real good option. There's also you know if you're just thinking about backup and you're not looking for access online, then you can look at things like Carbonite or CrashPlan or other things that are just focused on backup, and they're probably better backup solutions than than Time Machine is at this point, which really hasn't advanced much in the last bunch of years. So I don't know that uh, um, Apple, you know, the Apple-only solution is ultimately the best one. I think it's convenient from an activation perspective, but I think I think the other things out there today are just as good, and they give you more flexibility. You know, you may not like the next Apple device. You may like the Android. You know, the Google Pixel is a pretty nice phone. I have one. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. Uh, it may, you know, and I think having that kind of independence of our data from our devices is pretty important. When you start putting all of your eggs in one basket, so to speak, you're really exposing yourself not only to the, you know, the fickleness of the company and how they decide that they're going to pursue their business in the future, but also just the, you know, the security of that company and the longevity of that company. So I think having uh, spreading, spreading your love around a little bit is not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things is that Apple, you, Apple's iPhoto just is not a good program. You know what I mean? Like that's the problem with so much of their software mm. is that it's just not a satisfying experience compared to the others as, as they start to evolve. And they don't seem to be putting a whole lot of enough effort into it, given how the others have, which that, I agree with you. It's hard to... Well, photos, I would make the argument that f- Apple Photos on desktop, I like for the editing that they offer in yeah, it Yeah, editing. Because they have made a lot of changes to the Photos app. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think I like editing in Apple Photos on desktop better than I do Google Photos. But finding. Um, most people are just looking still for... There's a lot of confusion Most people are just that. looking for a photo they took in Lisbon or something like... You know what I mean? Like, that's the problem is finding is 
literally almost impossible on, on Apple. Yeah, on the just That's searching. Searching. Like Kara at White House, mm-hmm. ladies luncheon with melania yeah like just being able to search for that exactly you know? it's Kara but, but, riding a horse in the style of putin <laughs> um just like, i just want to be able to pull that up it's hard know? to pull that up yeah yeah absolutely all right the next question from zach dubos uh the next bit robin is really cool how well does this work and do you think other brands will implement this i don't even know what that is why don't you explain chris or lauren oh Oh. Well, do you mind if I weigh in? So the Nextbit Robin, I have some feelings on this. uh, Nextbit is a startup company that was making Android phones, unlocked Android phones. They had this very cool design. They were like these square uh, Robin blue colored phones. Um, But more than the aesthetics, what they were doing that was interesting was they um, they would basically uninstall apps that you were not using or actively using uh, to save space in your phone. They would sort of arbitrarily do this. And then if you needed to use the app again, you would just kind of tap on it and it would reappear on the device. And so they were doing this kind of behind the scenes, proactive cloud storage management of some of the stuff that was going on on your phone. Uh, Nextbit happened to have just been acquired by the gaming laptop maker Razer. Um, but uh, my understanding is that they're still going to continue to make phones. It was cool, but in some ways, I only used a Robin for a short period of time, but in some ways it reminded me a little bit of iTunes Match, like the idea of just kind of taking the apps in your phone and saying, okay, we're going to decide for you that this one is going up in the cloud now. And that kind of arbitrary decision-making around cloud stuff tends to bug me a little bit, but it's a cool idea. What are your thoughts yeah, on I it? Think, I think philosophically it's interesting. And inevitably, I think we're going to get there where our phones... We don't want to keep buying phones with 256 gigabytes of memory in them. That kind of sounds silly because we inevitably can't keep our things on there. So I think philosophically they have a good idea of, hey, my apps take up space. My photos take up space. Let me sync off all my photos and then delete them locally. Let me sync off my my apps and then delete them locally and then leave a little thing behind. Um, I think that the problem is that their approach is largely fairly kludgy to this and that inevitably – Applications need to change uh, underneath the covers. You know the kind of the, the the technical aspect of the apps need to adjust in order to behave properly in this environment and to actually give you the real the real benefits of of having an app that is not locally resonant but yet performs as if it feels like it is. Um, and as far as photos go, I think uh, you know that's a long way to go just to do a photo gallery in the cloud, which is already exists. You know either through Google or Apple or us. It feels like the f- having a whole new phone for this is unnecessary, mm-hmm. <laughs> that a lot of this benefit is given to us through services that exist already. So you don't need to buy this special cloud phone, quote unquote. No, it it's is. just you can buy any hardware you want yeah. and have most of those cloud services. Yes. Just, I guess the idea was that it was sort of baked in. I don't know. I actually saw someone on the street the other day using the next bit Robin, and mm-hmm. I think that was one of the few times I saw it in a while. But then again, we're in San Francisco. I feel like you know this is also where people were wearing Google Glass for a while, so let's not talk about that. Mm-hmm. We actually got a couple of streaming music questions, which, as we mentioned earlier in the show, I mean, all of these are cloud services, but there's definitely a difference between cloud storage and then media streaming services, like your favorite video or music streaming apps. But people did send us in some questions. Kara, do you want to read them? Sure. The first one is from Tech Coolness. Lauren, to you, Lauren. Uh, too lazy to Google this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who's too lazy to Google anything? That's really lazy. Is there a way to get all of Google Drive plus YouTube Red plus or minus Google Music with a single subscription. 
I have no idea. I don't use any of these things. <laughs> Is there a way to get a singular Google messaging app while we're at it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Google just seems to, they love having multiple services that do a variation of the same thing. They want lots of hooks into you. That's um, what they like. Why is that, Lauren? Yeah. What's the deal with well, that? Well, I think so. Googles? If you're paying for Google Drive, you, that's a separate fee than what you're going to pay for the $10 a month for access to YouTube Red, Man. which is YouTube without ads, and or Google Music, which is their music streaming service. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe the company is making moves to combine them, possibly. Well, they combined the teams we reported recently that were working on YouTube Red and Google Music. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in short, no tech coolness. You're going to end up paying Google for Google Drive after you get through that 15 gigabytes of free storage. You're going to paying you know a couple dollars a month or whatever it is, and then you're going to pay for streaming music in some capacity. Yeah. So you're just going to keep paying yeah, the Google. the business models are just so different. Right? Chris, you're going to pay Google all the time, really, in some way. You are. That's absolutely well, – or, or they're going to sell your data for you yeah. to monetize it. Oh, I'm ads. already Either all way. over that. Yeah, of course <laughs> right. they are. Yeah. As we said on last podcast, no free lunch. No free lunch. Can you're I ask you, Chris, is that harder? Because they've got lots of ways, yes. lots of levers to make money. When you're competing, you know, they can make it through advertising. They could make it through the, all these subscription services and then – their drive and everything else. Is that harder to, to compete against? I would assume the answer is yes. No, for sure. I mean, if, if somebody's offering something for free, yeah. and you can see the traction that free services get over non-free services, you know, the, the data is, is out there. It's important that people who, who are using free services know who the customer is, right? The customer is not you. The customer is the ad network. And so um, when it comes to, when it comes to look, when it comes to streaming TV shows and video, you don't really care, right? You don't own those things. And so having some ads on there is no big deal. For Facebook, largely no big deal that you have some ads on there. It's not really like your stuff. Um, We just feel like my perspective is, and I feel very strongly about this. This is my stuff. Like I've made this stuff. I want to keep this stuff for a long time. I want to keep the full fidelity of this stuff. I don't want my stuff to be at the whim of a decision that a company makes because they've got a business change or a business challenge that, that they can't meet properly. Uh, And so I feel like when there's a direct relationship between me and the company uh, where I'm paying as as a paying customer, that company is properly incented to do the right thing for my things. Um, And that's the found that's the philosophy for us at up there is and why we we charge two dollars a month for 100 gigabytes, because we want the relationship to be directly with the customer. And we think that's the right thing. No, I think that's correct. I think it's hard because. Uh, it's like Amazon and, and Netflix in a lot of ways. Amazon's doing a lot of other things besides making transparent or selling you music or, or video. They're also selling you toilet paper, um, which is part of their business plan. And Netflix does not have toilet paper to sell. So it's an interesting problem. So you have to just be better or have different – just better in some way that differentiates you. Why don't you ask the last question, Lauren? Last question is from F. Reed. He's at Low Tech on Twitter. And uh, honestly, this question I feel could spawn an entire – separate podcast. So at some point, we are going to have to do a a podcast just about streaming music services. But this person asks, is streaming music worth it? I can buy 10 songs a month for what streaming music costs and own those songs forever. I think it depends on your listening habits. Personally, I uh, realize that I am the type of person that I I will wear a song or an album out for a period of time and just listen to it over and over again because I'm really into it and then I'm over it and then I move on to the next thing. And so for me, I feel that paying $10 a month for having unlimited listens and all of that to something I might eventually grow tired of and not want to own uh, is a good deal for me. 
but some people are really audiophiles and they're really into their music and they still like owning music. And I think that all just depends on your on your mentality around that. What do you guys think? Uh, well, I think the buying music is over. Uh, buying music is over, pretty much. I don't think you do. I have like piles and piles of CDs and everything else and, and stuff that's in my stuff and I just don't, streaming music is where it's at. I don't know, Chris, why don't you have the last word on this? Oh, <laughs> so I, I agree that it's by use case. I agree that I think pretty much everything is going to be streaming media, streaming music. The reason is you don't you don't actually don't own that music, and so ownership of a file is kind of a, a bygone notion for music. Um, and there are different use cases for listening. I think, like Lauren said, if you're an audiophile and you want to listen on a very nice set of speakers or headphones, you want high quality, high resolution music, and you can get that from services like Title, for example. And I think there's Deezer. I think had had high resolution music. If if you just want to listen to the latest hits on your iPhone with the Airbud, with the AirPods or whatever, then you know Apple Music or Spotify or whatever at 256 megabit streaming is perfectly adequate. You know you're you're not going to hear the difference. But I, I do think that owning music is uh, owning the files is kind of a something for for the past, um, and that streaming music is is the way to go. And you just need to find the one that gives you the experience that you want to have given your listening needs. One of the things that I've had happen recently is I am using a lot of streaming music services and iTunes is now also kind of arbitrarily just throwing songs up in the cloud when it feels like it, right? Whether you're paying for iTunes match or not. And I'll forget to go back in and tap a little cloud to redownload the song Mm. before I like get on a plane or something. And then I have no service for a while and I have no music to listen to. I don't have the music that I want to listen to. Oh, dear. You can sort of store things locally, but you're not, it's not the same as having yeah. files, you know, the MP3 I think this locally. is a weakness of the services that haven't been creative enough in applying the right technology to solving that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't have all the music on your phone, but there's a, some subset of music that you want to have on your phone. You don't want to have to think about putting it on your phone. I don't think it's a particularly complicated technical problem to cache music and to cache things on the phone and have them when you need them. Um, this is just, you know, these services need to evolve more. Absolutely. And you know what? If you guys ever pivot, Chris, yeah. do that, please. <laughs> All right. That. that would be amazing. You could also, Lauren, just sit on the plane and think to yourself. I know that's a hard concept to imagine in this day and age, but you could actually <laughs> just have a moment of I reflection. I do that sometimes. I do that for really? the first, you know, 20 minutes or so until we I, reach right. 30,000 feet or right. whatever Oh, my is. God. I, oh, must like, be crazy making. Anyway, so thank you so much, Chris, for coming on the show. Uh, Chris Borden from Up There, uh, which is a cloud uh, storage service. And it's still confusing uh, to to do this, but uh, over time, let's hope a lot of this stuff gets very intuitive and changes even more so that it's easier for us not to even think about it. This has been another great episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Thank you, Chris, for joining us. Thank you, Cara and Lauren. If you all enjoyed the episode as much as we did, be sure to subscribe to the show and you can leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. And Chris, your website for people? Upthere.com. Upthere.com. Perfect. And also you can subscribe to Too Embarrassed to Ask. If you do, you'll be the first to listen to new episodes every Friday or catch up on previous episodes where we answer all of the tech questions that our listeners have been too embarrassed to ask. And if you're not on iTunes, you can also subscribe to us on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or just go to our website. Go to recode.net slash podcast and you'll find all of our podcasts there. Great. And while you're there, you should check out our other podcasts like Recode Decode, Recode Replay, and Recode Media with Peter Kafka. We also have some podcasts at The Verge that you can listen to. Walt Mossberg and Neil I. Patel host Control, Walt, Delete, where they nerd out even more than I do. I don't know if Kara could stand oh my God. on no that way. show for a minute. Not a minute. Uh, <laughs> Neil I. also usually hosts The Vergecast, which is our flagship podcast. 
Don't forget to tweet your questions ahead of time to at Recode with the hashtag Too Embarrassed or email them to us at Too Embarrassed at Recode.net. Thank you for listening to everybody. And thanks also to Digital Media, the company that distributes the show. Thanks to Eric Johnson, our producer. We'll be back next week to answer more of the questions you've been too embarrassed to ask. So tune in then.